0: This Gene Shepard here. We all here on this program often cause all kinds of aggravated assaults of one kind or another, and of course mostly in general our aggravated assaults are uh, on uh, on uh, 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 well uh, on uh, on creeping meatball meatballism or something I guess I think, and uh, if you get really fucked about all of aggravated assaults that are constantly being made on you, all those guys yelling and hollering and talking with the Echo Chamber and trying to sell you new kinds of deodorant and everything all the time, and preparationation, all that stuff. I don't know who you're going to call. There's just nobody to call, actually, because they're all doing it, you know. It's no... Now, this has been a public service announcement. Oh, my body lies over the ocean... My bunny lies over the sea My bunny lies over the ocean and I can't sing the next line because we've got women and children. That's always a way to good stuff has to get cut out And hello Monday. back of Notre Dame had a radio show. Uh, Just a thought. (laughs) Uh, uh, This is Monday, and for those of you who are not aware of what happens here on Monday, uh, perhaps if you turn up your radio a little bit, uh, you'll probably hear a few pops and buzzes and hums, because on Monday night... From 10 o'clock on, WOR runs his experiments in color radio. Uh, There are many new electronic techniques and great new advances that are being made in the propagation of electronic waveforms. And one of them, of course, is in the propagation of ultrasonic high-frequency broadcasting in the upper sideband of an amplitude-modulated signal. Uh, producing, therefore, a partially rectified color cathode follower technique, which if you uh, are one of the fortunate people out there, you can see the color of the walls in the studio here and the rug, and we have special color charts and cards which we will hold up. So for the first five minutes, if you'll excuse us, if you'll turn up your uh, FM receiver, you might be able to hear some of the color reverberative uh, sounds. Uh, It will sound probably... uh, Uh, Just like an echo chamber, to those of you who do not have the uh, equipment, the, uh, uh, well, actually, uh, there's no point in going into the techniques involved, except, suffice it to say, they involve some rather spectacular advances in the rectification circuits. And uh, we all want a little rectification in our lives. It certainly helps. Now, would you please uh, bring up uh, the... Hello. Hello. hello test. test. One, two, three, four, four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take my show to run all these defense tests and all this junk with a hi-fi and all that stuff. I don't care about color. Well, there's a lot of wonderful things in the in the offing, friends, fellow sufferers, fellow nervous travelers along the yellow brick road of life. Can you please bring us up some solo to new things music, Robert? Very good. And now for those of you who have been wondering about those odd moments in life where you're left without music. Those moments when you are caught without the sound of John Gambling-type music playing forever and ever. Uh, Here is a new development. Ease those tensions with the new... Melody phone. The latest in electronic wizardry. Just attach the melody phone, pull the cord, and when you answer the telephone, you and your caller are in for three minutes of restful, relaxing moments of soft, popular music as you converse. Hello, Charlie? Hey, Charlie! Turn that damn radio down, will you? I'm trying to get... Now listen, Charlie, you owe me 25 bucks. And if you don't pay up that 25 bucks, I'm gonna grab you by the Adam's apple with my right hand, grab you just below your right thumbs up with my left hand and twist clockwise and counterclockwise respectively. Turn that radio down and listen to me. All right, Charlie, I'll wait till it's over. Yeah, soothing, relaxing music, yeah. You just better get that 25 smackers ready, Mac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, usually to go off your nut by. Well, uh, there. (laughs) You know, I I just, you know, it's to me. I think this is. It says, I I like this line. I I like particularly. Would you please set that back again? Uh, Listen to this wonderful line. I think you'll enjoy this line. The new melody phone makes telephoning a joyous experience. No. Internal Revenue Bureau has this hooked up to all its phones. And as you talk to them, the sound of that bureaucrat on the other end of the line. Is this J.D. Smothers out there? <laughs> Social Security number 310 4082 This is your friendly Bureau of Internal Revenue calling. And we have a few things to talk about. Just a few things. Now, would you please sit down, old man? There, relax. ahead. Put your head back on the pillow. Take a deep breath. All set now? We would like to refer to item seven on your 1958 income tax return to the federal government. It says here, item seven, that you spent $1,722 at a restaurant called Le Marmiton entertaining guests. Well, <laughs> we've checked. <laughs> yes. We'd love to have you down tomorrow afternoon. Bring a small bag with a change of underwear, maybe a shirt. Yes, telephoning can be a joyous experience, friends. Speaking of joyous experiences, would you please bring on... Hold it there in abeyance there for a minute. Now, we're tonight, since it's Monday night, we're saluting great, vast advances in our modern, hard-hitting, technological world. <clears throat> <coughs> Just a moment, hold it there. <coughs> Has somebody been playing around with my bazoo here? <coughs> <coughs> all right, there, now we're all set. Now, uh, we'd like to, once again, salute another, uh, this is a suggestion for those of you who are casting about, Looking perhaps for ideas for a pre Christmas buying. Kind of nice thought here. Would you please bring me on some salute to the happy new world's life? Bring it up. Big deep. <laughs> Philosophical question must be asked at this juncture. Modern men, where the devil are you going? And being one of modern men, I figure I answered as well as the next. I figure I can handle as good as Chet Huntley. Um, I mean Chester Huntley. What if what if the word got out that his name is Chester? I'd kill him. Are you aware that? His partner's first name, really, is Rollo. Rollo David Huntley. Used to call him... (laughs) Had a funny name from back in the neighborhood. Bring it up. Oh, wow. Some guys are pursued by their very name to success. I knew a man named Leander who went all the way. Oh, pursuing him like a gray specter of shame. A gray ghost of iniquity. Well, behind the privet hedges. All right. Now, for those of you who are looking for excitement in today's life, modern, hard-hitting, we would like to suggest an antique car radio. Here, at last, is an authentic replica of one of the earliest car radios that collectors have demanded created for us by the original manufacturer who made that original bad car radio. Now you can get it at a premium price for your new 1965 car with the original crackle finish, uh, crackle sounding speaker. <laughs> can you imagine a guy with a 1965 car who goes out and buys himself an antique car radio? It has a zero to 100 dial that says it has the original antique antenna. I will award you the brass figler with bronze oak leaf palm. If you can tell me where the first car radio antennas were on the cars, oh a little confusion there. A little confusion there, right? Huh? They did not stick out at the front. they were not a rod. So we'll give you that that we'll give you that uh, clue right there. Now why do I remember this? Why me? Why am i cursed with this? Remembering where well i'll tell you why i'm cursed with it. If you're interested and i suspect a few of you might be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my my old man had a, had a car see he, he, he was I said he bought used cars compulsively. Uh, his concept of a new car was one at least 3 years old. And uh, we got a car one time a used car that had this built in Radio Antenna was one of the big selling points of that year's Turkey. It's a very bad car, but it had a built-in antenna, of which my father was inordinately proud. Until one night, he came in over a snowbank, low. Uh, we had some pretty rough, hard snowbanks that drifted down our driveway certain times of the year. He came in over a snowbank, low, and he wiped out Merton Marge because he came in too low, just like that and left his antenna uh, <laughs> draped all over a snowbank and uh, drifting all the way on out into the street. Now, can you remember where that was? Believe it or not, that's where they had them. Uh, well, of course, This is uh, speaking of antique car radios, I had uh, the first car that I ever bought as a kid. I bought this used car. It had at least 25 owners before I got it. And it was this magnificent little, what they called, a coupe, which was a two-seater car with a thing in the back and all that. A big, beautiful little hardtop. Had had, uh, had wire wheels, uh, <laughs> a real jazzy car. And it was a Ford V8, the most overpowered automobile in the history of automobili- auto- automobiling. In fact, uh, this car had about, at that time, about a 100-horsepower engine. And the body weighed about mm, 34 pounds. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was made out of pure tin foil, and a balsa wood frame and that whenever you stepped on the gas with this car, the whole front end would surge upward, upward and outward like the Graf Zeppelin in a high gale. And I remember the, the front end going up so high when I go, oh, ah! and the front end would go up so high that I could not see the road ahead of me. And the chick who was always sitting next to me would get that funny feeding in the stomach. And if I did it long enough, Always we would have to stop and roll the window open and let her, you know, out the window. Uh, Because this car had a distinct roll action to it. Now, part of it was, uh, part of this car's equipment was this fantastic automobile radio. Are you aware that at one point they turned out a car radio that you could get shortwave on? Yeah, they had, had shortwave on the car radio for the express purpose of listening to the police calls. And uh, <laughs> and there were a lot of guys who had to have that in their car radios in those days. It was a necessary accessory, along with sawed-off shotguns and various other things that many of the cars carried as standard equipment. And uh, I remember driving down Western Avenue, believe it or not. I remember driving down Western Avenue, and I'm listening to the car radio, and I'm hearing the police calls. And all of a sudden, I had this sick feeling in my gut. I realized they were talking about me. And 30 seconds later, laid laid the clincher on me, and I was taken down to the to the local precinct station. and had to shell out, and I heard the discussion between two squad cars about nailing me. And I was sitting there, and I was talking to the chick, and I said, "Oh boy, are they going to get that poor guy?" Oh wow, wow! And then whoo, up they came, and away I went. Now they, they had a thing, or they had a thing in Chicago, which I've never heard anywhere else. You know, we talk about the rise in, in, in accident rates and so on. Speaking of accidents, before we go, this is WOR, AM and FM New York. And hit the button there, Fred. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the moment all of us have been waiting for. You know, this station is just a big accident. They never planned it old brewmaster. That's right. Incredible as that sounds, science has proved that this gentleman actually has lived (laughs) 25 million years. (laughs) Well, in a few seconds, the brewmaster will tell us which beer has won the prize at this beer festival. Of course, it should be Ballantine because there's more spirit to it. But the tension is incredible here. And oh, it looks like the brewmaster is ready to give us his decision. Uh, sir, have you selected the winning beer? Well, unfortunately, just before I came to the beer festival, I was at the garlic festival. What if this actually when says, says beer or garlic? I can't tell the difference between beer and coffee at mm-hmm. this time. But I'll tell you this. If you want to drink Valentine beer and really enjoy the spirit and the flavor of it, don't go to a garlic festival before you drink it. If you want to start, brother. Valentine <laughs> beer. There's more spirit to it. Well, that uh, that reminds me. Uh, y- you know, they talk all the time about uh, about accidents and how the growing accident rate is. I will never forget the time when they laid the finger on me. I'm going along the Outer Drive in Chicago, and I was at a very impressionable age. I had just gotten my driver's license, and uh, I was all excited about that, you know, wow, wow, yeah, driving you know, and all that stuff, and I was driving my own car. I'd been saving for 150 years, and I finally bought this car on Stony Island, and it's all shiny, and I'm out on a date with this chick, and we're driving into the city. And it would be about the equivalent of driving along the West Side Highway here. It's the outer drive. The lake is on one side and the wind is blowing over the, over the spanking waters. And, and uh, this, was the, this was also the day that one of the, one of the oddest things that I ever had happen really actually occurred to me <laughs> in that car. Uh, we, we were coming in very early in the morning. We were going to some big deal that was going to happen in Chicago. And you had to get there early and get in line and something like that. And, and it was about 7 o'clock in the morning. And there was, there was a kind of a mist blowing off, off the lake. And we were going along the outer drive and we came, we came to what they call the Jackson Park section, which is a park on the south side of Chicago. On one side is the park and on the other side, as you come from Indiana, on your right is the lake. It's the south side of Chicago. Now this is in the immediate vicinity of the University of Chicago, which at that time was under great fire in the press for various Bacchanalian revels (laughs) that had been discovered at the University of Chicago. And by the way, I will award you the brass figlegee with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me who was the professor at the University of Chicago at the time who was accused in public print and later in the courts of having been the chief leader of the Bacchanalian orgiastic revels. Uh, he later went on to win uh, a couple of fantastic international awards, and is even to this day making noise in the newspapers. Famous guy, <laughs> and, and uh, it was right in that period. And where I'm driving along, I'm driving along through the through the outer drive, and you could see the you, this, uh, you could see the the beautiful uh, lake front, and the the wind is blowing off the lake and carrying little. Little uh, tiny pieces of fog passed me and over the road and into the bushes. Out of the bushes came more fog and it was swirling and the sun was shining and this chick was next to me when suddenly, out of the bushes... Can I I have that first cut, that humor-esque? That will describe it beautifully. Oh, boy. It was like an apparition. I couldn't believe it. Out of the bushes, I was waiting for the light to change. I'm in one of the little twisting by-roads in Jackson Park. Out of the bushes floated three Greek nymph goddesses. Seriously, wearing long trailing gauze-like diaphanous gowns floating into the atmosphere doing Greek dance. And behind them was a guy wearing a pair of wool pants with cloven hoof. And he was blowing golden pipes. And they went back into the bushes and I never saw them again. I'm not inventing it. I'm telling you, I'm not. Stop it. The, it was one of the nuttinesses that was going on at the University of Chicago. It was a Greek dance class or something. Out for its morning calisthenics. You know, they floated through the air. These chicks, wow, were they ever outlined against the sun. Woo! Things were picking up. And I, I went about another block and a half. And off to my right is this, is this uh, well, it was a, an area, like, a, like, a, like an empty lot, really. It was kind of half-developed. It was grassy. Between the road and the lake. And I see these monsters, gigantic guys, kicking footballs. Fantastic. They were wearing big black jerseys with orange sleeves, big numbers on the back, and no helmets. And they're just booting footballs and passing them around. I pulled up to look, and it's the Chicago Bears out for a morning workout. Believe it or not, something was going on down at Wrigley Field, where they played ordinarily. And they were not going to practice in their field. And they're out there right on the road, throwing the football, kicking it back and forth. And here were these these uh, these famous football players. I stopped and looked at that for a while. And and uh, there was one famous football player named Norman Stanley. Did you ever hear of him? Norm Stanley, famous kicker, famous uh, backfield man. And he, he comes over to the car, and he looks at and he says, you got a match, kid? I says, Yes. <laughs> And, and I reached over, and it was, you know, I had, this, I had this cigar lighter on the dash of my car. I pressed it in, and the next thing you know, my dash is on fire. You know how that thing goes. So, oh, I pull it out, and he says, oh, I'd forget it, kid. And he goes back, and boom, he kicks a football 17 blocks. It was my one brief brush with greatness. Well, this chick is t- sitting next to me, and we continue on in our journey. This is one of the nuttiest journeys I ever took. I go about another, oh, maybe three or four blocks along the outer drive when suddenly I am nailed from behind by a guy on a motorcycle. He pulls me over to the side of the road, and it is my first T.I. Icket. My very first. In my entire life, I am being nailed and given a ticket. Well, now, in those days, as it is today, have you noticed how how much easier it is to get a ticket in New York if you're from Jersey? Have you noticed how much easier it is to get a ticket, say, in Georgia if you're from New York? Okay. All right. That's the way it was when you were from Indiana and you were driving through the streets of Chicago. They just went out and, oh, you've got 17 of them there, I see. You carry them around. Well, well, this guy laid the hand on me and he says, alright, okay, alright, alright, Mac, where you think you're going? And, of course, everybody's passing me. My car had bad valves and everything. I could hardly, you know, I'm going about 48 miles an hour, barely, with the wind behind me, and going downhill, and these guys are whistling past. He's, all right, all right, Mac, all right, okay, let's see your driver's license. And hmm, I get out my brand spanking new driver's license, and he takes a look at it, and he says, 16, huh? hmm, <laughs> hmm. All right. And he walks around the back and you know that terrible moment when they're in back of you and they're looking at your license plate and they're writing something down. You want to get down on your knees or grovel or crawl or Oh, don't no, please, no And you're with a chick, you can't do that. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking with my famous ironic look, you know. Mac. Who does he think he is? Boy, wait till he finds out who I am. (laughs) Finds out my old man works at the dairy. I'll fix him, boy. Just wait, you know, we'll fix this one. up. Well, he comes back around. He says, all right, kid. He says, here's your ticket. He says, you better show up down at the 28th Street Precinct office in the next, before 10 o'clock this morning, or else you're going to have to come in special next Monday. He says, if you want to come in this morning, it's going to be a lot easier on you. You might as well go right in this morning. Oh, Wow. And here was our big date, and the whole scene all laid up, you know, and I knew that I had to be at the show or wherever the devil I was going was supposed to be there at 9 o'clock or 9.30. Now, here I am going down to this place. Well, you haven't heard the rest of it, Dad. So I say, well, I'll go down there and take care of it quick. So I turn around, I go back, over, cut in. I'm next in front of the 28th Street Precinct Station, and up the steps I go, and the big stone lines, and they had the, those big white globes and all that stuff, and over there they had Justice Will Triumph, and Justice holding up a thing with the scales and all that. And it's the first time, you know. I figured, gee was, you know. My idea of a ticket was $2. You know back in Hammond, if you overparked, over parked it was a dollar that kind of thing and I figure well, I've got seven dollars in my pocket most they can nick me for is three dollars and a half so I get in there there's a long line of guys they're all standing in line and up in the front there is this judge he's got a black robe and he's given each guy about seven milliseconds and he had only one word pay he just kept saying guilty. And then he'd go, and all the guys would sort of get white and turn to the left. Now, on the right was this little cashier's cage where there was a guy taking the dough. Nobody was going there. They were all going to the left, and they were waiting in a big crowd over there. I didn't know what, you know what it was about. I never had a ticket handed to me before. So finally, it is my turn. And the judge takes my ticket. He says, Shepard, JP, 72 miles an hour on the outer drive. Ford V8. Yes, sir. Just let me, see your, let me see your driver's license. I hand him my driver's license. He looks at it. Puts his glasses on the end of his nose. Looks... At uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. Got anything to say? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, I wanted to fall down on my gut and scream. Ah, please, judge. Oh, wow. Oh, 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 you can't. There's a bunch of truck drivers behind me and a bunch of truck drivers ahead of me, so I say nothing. All right. This Twenty-one dollars in costs. Twenty-one dollars in costs. And costs? I mean, how much it costs? You know, I mean... Twenty-one dollars in costs or a visit to the morgue. Next case, which it be a visit to the morgue? Well, I'm going to tell you what they did in Chicago. And I never, I've never seen it anywhere else. You had your choice of paying up... Or going to the MO org. Well, I had seven dollars in my pocket, and so thirty seconds later I'm standing over there with this other crowd, the the guys with the white face. And they're all standing there quietly, shifting back and forth from one foot to the next, and the chick I'm with is sitting back there in the in the in the audience section, and i look at it, and i wave. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> you know, I've got, I'm wearing my ascot and my Hammond High sweater, and I'm pretty snotty. I'm all, I've got the moccasins on, the whole bitch, you know, and I'm playing the big... I'll be back, baby, don't worry Bobby I'll be back a couple of minutes, yeah. Well, they backed the paddy wagon up to the side of this building, and they put about 75 of us in there standing. And all of us are hanging on the bars, and they're, <laughs> they're riding a paddy wagon. It's an interesting experience and there was a cop in the front, there was a cop in the back, and they took us about 17 minutes through the side streets, and they unloaded us all, and we went into this long, dark, brown building that looked very official with the stone steps, in past the desk, into a place that was very cold and had a strange smell, and they started to slide drawers out of the walls for us. One by one. They had collected in there probably, oh, maybe 15 guys, that had been hit by hit-and-run drivers, freight trains, uh, 1941 mobiles you know, and the whole scene. And one after the other, we just walked right down there in a long line as a cop marched us past. And a man walked along with us and told us what had happened to each one. Uh, this guy here was found on Halsey Street. Uh, he uh, was a hit-and-run driver. I hit him. Uh, we, uh, have, uh, two clues. We'll get them up for next week. Uh, this one over here, this guy was, uh, this guy was in a head-on collision with another guy. He was driving a 1938 Oldsmobile. The other guy was driving a 41 Chevrolet. Uh, the other guy we've already shipped out. Now this one over here, and we're watching each one we had to. One by one we walk past. Well, it was the longest ten minutes I ever spent in my life. I got on the outside with the sun shining down and the breeze is blowing past me. And they loaded me back into the paddy wagon. And we made the long trip, the long trip through those winding cobble streets. Yes. And a half an hour later, I am picking up my blonde porcelain chick. The one with the soft blue eyes and the soft blue dress. And we are driving quietly along the outer Drive at four miles an hour. Yes, I thought you kind of would like that, that uh, <clears throat> story. You know, now I know a lot of people are going, Oh, that was cruel. What a cruel thing to do. It might have been cruel, but it was exceedingly educational. Exceedingly educational. And uh, I have not heard that done anywhere else. I know this, that, that anybody who got that treatment uh, learned something very, very vivid, which he never forgot. You just never for- You just can't possibly. And, uh, and when we got back out, then this, this bunch of guys, you know, we'd all been making smart, you know, just making smart comments and cracking wise in the in the paddy wagon. Nothing is silent, guys. Oh, hang in there. Look, looking at their watch, pretending like they're in a hurry. Like, how do to get back, you know? And somebody says, "Well, sure didn't pay the twenty-one bucks, did we, guys?" Ha-ha. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Oh man! Hey, listen. Speaking of uh, of paying, uh, a couple of a couple of nights ago, we started to talk about KLH, and about a week or so ago. Uh, I heard I heard some wild commercials that KLH made. Now, these were not to be used on this show, uh, but I heard them. And, in fact, I don't even know whether they're using them anyway. They were experimental commercials. Would you like to hear some experimental commercials that, that uh, I think are much funnier than the old brewmaster, the 2,000-year-old brewmaster? Because they make far more of a comment about things. Uh, go ahead, hit it. Go on. Go on, Bob. K. Lyle Hemsley here asking you to lend me your ears for the KLH Moment Musicale. Today's <laughs> guest is England's teenage idol, Ricky Ticky Mr. Tabby, I wonder if you share the views of our more serious guests about K. L. H. stereo music system. Frankly, Mr. Hemsley, I'm perturbed that you would accept the gratuitous approach to teenage singers. Actually, teenage music is melodic musically and poetically. Now then, yes, I appreciate KLH. It's incomparable reproduction of music. The poetry, the lyrics come clear and true over any KLH music system. I hope I apologize, Mr. Tavi if I patronized you in any way, and I'm more eager than ever now to hear your latest number. Marvellous! Come to close and I'll smack you in the mouth. Come to close and I'll split you north and south. Come to close and I'll break your nose. Smash your teeth and rip your clothes. God, I love you! Listen soon yeah, for another KLH Moment Music Count, presented yeah, by KLH, the uncompromising high-fidelity manufacturer. You. Whatever your budget, you. KLH can bring music to your ears. And I'll tell you limb from limb... <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you know, uh, I, it, it's, it always amuses me that, that uh, how many people... By the way, speaking of KLH, uh, you can see it at, uh, at the electronic workshop at 26 West 8th Street. And believe me, uh, the best piece of electronic equipment I have ever owned in my life is the old KLH model eight tuner, which I have used steadily now for about five years, and it's not stopped once. This is an FM tuner, but they have magnificent equipment, and you can see it at twenty six West Eighth Street, the Electronic Workshop, Gramercy three zero one four zero. Now, uh, speaking of equipment, let's let's get the get with the. I want to read something here. I took it out, and promptly put it away again, where I can't find it. All right, uh, I want to read something to you here that I think is interesting reading. I quote, I'm quoting a magazine which is totally unbiased and is a very official type magazine. They don't fool around. One of the toughest magazines in the world on cars. Quote, there are very few cars which are directly competitive with the Rover 2000 or even try to be. It could best be described as a GT car designed to carry four passengers in supreme comfort at high speeds over all kinds of roads with considerable economy. It is, of course, useful for general family puttering, but this would seem to be a waste of a good thing. It could also be described as a sports car in as much as it will handle corners and curves with an agility completely unexpected in a sedan. And most of all, it is a quality car built to exacting, exacting tolerances by craftsmen with a proud heritage. We regret, we can't say as much about some of its British cousins, which cost much more money. And they're talking about the Rover 2000. This is not written by the Rover company, by the way. It is a, it is an, a, a totally unbiased report on one of the most interesting automobile designs of the past decade. And if you have... Any plans at all to investigate a new car that runs in the vicinity of $4,000 that is a magnificent machine, I would suggest you look up the Rover. You can see it at, let's see, if you live in Litchfield, Connecticut, Nelke Motor Company of Litchfield on Harris Plains, Route 25. Litchfield, Connecticut. That's the Rover 2000, a magnificent car. You know, while we're on the the subject of... uh, the the teenage world, which uh, was referred to glancingly by uh, the KLH spot, I'm always uh, vaguely intrigued by the number of people who really don't don't feel that there's anything happened in the world at all uh, other than just... uh, an extension of what used to be. I think there was <laughs> really all oh, so many guys uh, who who apparently are living in a cocoon or either and slash have refused to concede that there has been a... Now, now by the way, this is not a, a comment or a statement here that aren't things getting bad or aren't things getting good. I'm merely making a statement here that there has been a great and revolutionary change in many things uh, in the world, particularly in the... I suppose you can say in the violence factor, which is in all of us in the past 9 or 10 or 15 years. You know, there was a time when people fought against violence, when violence was uh, considered something that you should not really allow to take over. You should not allow yourself to give in to it. But violence today is considered a kind of positive virtue among many people. So it's an interesting... Now, now uh, in England, now I can say this, in England, it is far more advanced than it is here. In England, teenage violence, which is the senseless violence, has really proceeded apace. And today, uh, in England, uh, even novelists are beginning to take great cognizance of it there. You'll find this teenage violence. Now, I'm not talking... Now, again, when I use the term teenage, that's a very generic term. Uh, it does not refer to people who are in their teens that today a teenager can be 40 and in fact many of them are uh fascinatingly enough uh, the the, uh, the 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 Beatles are always called teenagers by people who write and most of the Beatles and I know them personally stopped being teenagers a good 10 years ago they are no more believe me they are no more teenagers than <laughs> than I am or than Johnny Carson is but they are part of a world which does not concede that it has to move into any other direction than the kind of, I suppose you can say, irresponsibility or the kind of getting away with things because you're a kid world that we all had and some people today have learned how to keep. You know that uh, <coughs> that uh, that follows uh, into something else. Uh, I was I was reading a uh, a piece about many of the uh, many of the people involved in in a lot of the movements, uh, violent or otherwise, the revolutionary movements that are crossing America, particularly in the student world, and or post-student. And they constantly refer to the term the adult world. That somehow it's the adult world which is corrupt, and their world is not. And therefore, uh, by definition, incidentally, and therefore anything which they do is tainted somehow with goodness and with light. uh, No matter how uh, ...no matter how dishonest it may be... ...because they're not part of the adult world. Now, the, 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 the question that always arises... ...is its an interesting question. Uh, to me it is. Uh, that most of the people who are using the word... ...and they refer to the adult world as the corrupt world... ...most of these people are at least 25 and over. and uh, And even perhaps, in some cases as old as 35 and on up, and they refer to the adult world as the world of the other people. They are not part of this adult world. They're part of the world of the Beatles. They're part of the world of, of uh, whatever that, that, uh, that gray, uh, in-between, undefined area is. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an odd thing to, to, to see that on the one end of the maturation scale... People have pushed it down. In other words, a kid of ten or eleven today is roughly about as mature as a kid or uh, a growing teenager of just a few years ago would be. Maybe at seventeen, uh, he's had experience. He's had various other things have worked upon him, and so now at the age of ten or eleven, his his he, it's, it's a speeded up process. But here is where the paradox comes in there is a point he reaches where he stops the process and and so on the other end of the scale uh, when this same kid who is ten now we'll say or just a few years ago was ten and he's now uh, let's say eighteen he will be forever eighteen in short he does not <laughs> on the one end of the scale maturation has begun early and on the other end of the scale maturation does not uh, mature. It does not go any further. He does not want to be older. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, in, in a rare moment of candor the other night, uh, a guy who is, has great involvement with the teenage world, and he's always railing out in his editorials and his writing, he writes a great deal, about that corrupt adult world. And I said, well, well, you know, you're part of that corrupt adult world. There was a long pause, and he says, yeah, but he says, they don't know it. You see, I'm passing <laughs> which which uh, which is a uh, which is something I don't suppose has been brought out to many people. I, I assume that many people who who see the Beatles uh, assume that the Beatles are teenagers. I assume that many people who uh, who observe various uh, phenomena in the world of the, the the world of the teenager, the teenage market assume that these people who are doing these things are teenagers i 'm sure that people assume that somehow Joan Baez is spiritually a teenager uh, <laughs> and that, that 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 Bob Dylan is forever a teenager well uh, that's, these are all these are all this is all part of that 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 new uh, well it 's not really new i suppose uh, there's no question about it that that when you when you have a a nation, and and that is not only our nation, but it's pretty much of the Western world, uh, particularly in England and in our country too, that makes such a such a tremendous obeisance to the great God of youth. Eventually, you will have to grow, and it will have to be. It'll it'll eventually be uh, an entire well, many many generations, not just one, but many generations of people who will be forever sixteen they will not allow themselves to be anything else. It's just the fact. They will be 16 until the day the wind suddenly catches them and like a cloud of dust, they burst into flame and disappear. Uh, do, you recall, do you recall a, a movie? I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that the movie She, which was so badly mismade recently, if they brought back the original movie, She, I suspect that this story would have far more relevancy today than it ever had. If you're not familiar, it was written by H. Ryder Haggard and the story she referred to this mythical goddess, this woman uh, in in, a, in in Africa in a kingdom in Africa who had discovered and and was in practice uh, the secret of eternal youth and she was nine hundred years old. you remember that the scene and she lived in this mountain or, uh, somehow underground. I just remember vague elements of it. And she lived underground and, and lived to a fantastic age. And the explorer arrived and, of course, he immediately fell madly in love with her. And then the inevitable happened, uh, the fantastic slip-up, and she, she changed before his very eyes uh, from a, a, a girl of 22 or whatever it was she has, she looked like uh, she suddenly became a woman of ninety, and then she became one hundred and forty and Then, before his very eyes, she began to wither and crisp down until finally she was just dust nine hundred year old dust and I suspect that 's what will happen <laughs> to to uh, uh, to to most of the practitioners of this particular field of of uh, uh, necromancy uh, it is a form of uh, of uh, well, I suppose uh, more than that, it, it is a form of something that goes far deeper than that. Uh, there's, there's a, there's a psychological word that refers to the love of death. And it's necrophilia. And I think that the, that the necrophiliac tendencies, the slow oozing through this particular forever Youngsville world is evidence on all sides. Did you notice that it ran through the Beatles pictures? a a a a fascination by violence and blood sacrifice and death that necrophiliac quality that just runs quietly through it always certainly runs through all the music runs through all the poetry and all the attitudes on the one hand they love forever youth and on the other hand they love forever nothingness and they're one and the same